Hello and welcome to Slang Giants. This is your host, Joe Sneed. I hope you've had a great week. Are you celebrating Sexual Perversion Pride Month? I'm not. (laughs) It is June, which has been declared Pride Month, so somehow this lost world has managed to combine sexual sin with the sin of pride. I think there's a Bible verse about that. Anyways, there is a lot of passages I could go to to prove how the various different letters of the LGBTQ plus um, acronym uh, is sinful, but I'm not going to do that today because I th- I think there's there the world will point to that and say, hey, look, those Christians are just prudes. They're just saying what you can't do. However, I'm going to today point out God's positive purpose for sex and what he created it for, not just what is wrong, but what is right and why it's right and why it's glorious. So I hope you enjoy this episode as we get over this rainbow and get back to God's plan. Get it over the rainbow. Okay. Anyways, on to the episode. All right, I got the obligatory dad joke out of the way. Now let's get to the meat. So, when we look at God's plan, uh, we got to go back to the beginning. This episode, it's this is the first one I think I'm going to put an explicit content on here, just because we're going to be talking about um, adult subjects, and we got to be frank here. And uh, it's not going to be R-rated, but there's a lot of R's. When you look at God's plan, more R's than a pirate convention. Okay, second dad joke. Sorry, couldn't resist. So first of all, let's look at the definition of marriage. Well, first, let's look at God's positive purposes for sex and for marriage. And it's clear that God meant for sex to be an expression of marriage and only an expression of marriage. So let's look at the definition of marriage. First R is it is rooted in creation. If we look at Genesis 2... 18 through 25, we see God's plan for marriage. It's how God, this beautiful description of how God took the rib out of Adam's side and made a woman from him. And Adam, God first put Adam to sleep, he did this, and then Adam wakes up and he sees this beautiful woman, and that inspires the first love poem in history— First love poem recorded in the Bible, and he says, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Um, uh, The word for there for woman is Isha, and the word for man is Ish. So you can see there's a little word play there. And it's cool because it works the same in English. Woman taken out of man. The woe in the beginning can mean womb or wound. And so it's perfect. One of those nice serendipitous... Events where two languages line up. And then it said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So, in the very creation account, we see God's uh, purpose and plan for marriage. And it's just common sense as well. When you look at the world around you, you see men and women are designed differently. They have different body parts that fit together. And Adam, if you remember, 
God put him in the garden. He gave him a job to name all the animals. And when I'm sure when Adam was going through that process, he noticed, hey, all these other animals that are, you know, biologically mammal like me, humans are more than animals, we're spirit beings, but we're also biological. And the animals that were most like Adam, he noticed, hey, they have a counterpart. And I don't. And so Adam could just observe. I think God was, this was the first lesson God was teaching Adam. He was observing creation and realized, hey, I need a counterpart too to, to be fulfilled and to complete this creation that God made. So that when God did bring Eve, then he was overjoyed and he burst into song. And that has been the inspiration for most of man's artwork and music ever since. So, what is marriage? First R, it's rooted in creation. Number two, it is reiterated throughout Scripture. Proverbs 18.22 states that he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. And then Proverbs 31.10 states... An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and she will have no, and he will have no lack of gain. So there you see God's blessing on marriage and how a, a wife is a wonderful blessing from the Lord. And also you notice God assigned pronouns there. And we don't get to check our, uh, choose our pronouns. God has chosen them for us at birth. And so that just is reiterates the creation um, narrative and the created order there in Proverbs. If you look to Leviticus twenty thirteen, that is a clear passage in the Old Testament that's that is the counter to this that shows what marriage is not. It says if a man lies with a man as if he lies with a woman, you know it's an abomination to the Lord. And in the Old Testament law, they were to be executed. Now, clearly shows. God does not like that behavior. He calls it an abomination. And it's true in the New Testament, the penalties for these sins were removed. You know, they're not stoned or or executed anymore. But that doesn't mean God still doesn't mean God likes it anymore. It's he still hates it, just like he hates all sin. Uh we're just not living under uh, so, so strict civil consequences anymore, but um you know, not one little bit of the law will go away. God still hates it. All right, so first, what is marriage? It's rooted in creation. Number two, it's re- reiterated throughout Scripture. Number three, it's repeated by Jesus himself. Many people will say, oh, you know, Jesus didn't say anything about homosexuality. Eh, wrong. Vodi Bakum points this out in a great video. Um, if you look at uh, Matthew 19... In the parallel passage in Mark 10, the Pharisees come up to Jesus and ask him about uh, divorce. And God and Jesus, once again, points back to the beginning and says, God made the male and female, and what God has joined together, let man not separate. And there again, it's he says male and female. Therefore, marriage is between a male and a female. Those with you know, XX chromosomes and XY chromosomes. Doesn't matter what you think you are, God knows who you are. So Jesus himself spoke about what marriage is, and it's clear throughout the Bible from cover to cover that marriage is supposed to be an expression 
of, I mean, excuse me, sex is supposed to be an expression of marriage. So if that's what marriage is, then sex should only be between those of the opposite sex within the marriage uh, blessed union. All right. So that is the definition of marriage according to God. Now the purpose of marriage. Again, we got we got four more R's here. To uh, This will make a total of um, seven R's. So the purpose of marriage, first one, reproduction. This is pretty obvious. God says, be fruitful and multiply. You know, fill the earth and subdue it. And then he gives them the means to do so, which is through marriage. This is God's, it's interesting, God's first command to humanity. It's not a negative command. It's a positive command. And it's God's first command is have lots of sex. <laughs> God's a good God. <laughs> and, and because he wants to bring glory to himself and by and the way one of the ways he does that is to fill the earth with image bearers those who bear the image of god and then he gives us dominion over the earth he says be you know have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and animals of the land so first purpose of marriage and sex of course reproduction number 2 representation now this is often overlooked and this i think is a key of why people uh often sometimes even christians we miss the importance of sex is because, number two, it represents something. It's not just for pleasure or for reproduction, though it is for those things, but it's also a representation of spiritual realities. God meant these to be living um, lessons for the world to see, for us to learn from. Now, the interesting thing is there's two representations here, and I'll go through them both. First of all, Marriage is meant to be a representation of the Trinity. That's right. This was pointed out to me by a uh, a Hebrew man who had become a Christian, and he's a Hebrew scholar. And um, so let's look back. It's at Genesis 1, 26 through 30, and I'll be reading from the ESV. By the way, I'm not going to read all these passages. They will be in the show notes, but I'll read this one. So in Genesis 1, 26 through 30, God says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I'll just That's in the verse 27. I'll just stop there. Now, notice how the duality there of both the singular and the plural, and this again points to God's nature. And um, a lot of of people say that there's, you know, there's no evidence of the Trinity in the Old Testament. Well, actually there is. It's all over the place. And here's a classic example. Um, God is Trinity. He's one in being, but three in person. And we're made in God's image. And so when God made beings in his image, he made them both singular and plural, as much as created beings can be. I mean, God's above creation. He's holy. And so only God is one being with and three persons. But the best picture he made in all of creation is uh, mankind within marriage. 
And, you know, God, and look at God's pronouns here again. He says, if they're plural, he goes, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so, you know, it sounds like God is plural, though if you look at the Hebrew, the verb God said, God is plural, but the said is singular, and that's throughout the whole Old Testament. But then when he made them, God said, uh, it says, so God created man in his own image, in his own image, singular, in the image of God, he created him, singular, male and female, he created them, and then there's plural. So it just is a picture, humans and um, the married couple is a picture of one unit, but duality, I mean, a multiplicity of people within it. And again, it, in uh, Genesis 2, um, it says, a man will hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So just reemphasizes, it reemphasizes how they are a unity, but they're also distinct persons, but they're united in a bond of love that creates more life, creates another person in the image of God. Now, the Holy Spirit is not created, of course, but he does proceed from the Father, and this is the best picture um, that we get in creation of this. So that's the first thing that sex and marriage is supposed to uh, represent, and that is the Trinity. The second thing, the second thing that marriage and sex were created to represent is Christ and the church. Paul says this in Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 21. And this is the ESV. Wives, well, I'll start in, yeah, verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh. But he nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is remarkable here because Paul is quoting from Genesis again. Uh, from Genesis 2, and he's saying that not only is that the picture of what marriage is between a man and a woman, but that is meant to be, from the beginning, a picture of Christ and his church. And this just shows that from the beginning, God meant, God had this whole plan of redemption in place. He knew we would sin, and he knew he would send his son to save us. And so, God worked it into the very created order through the whole institution of marriage, through the whole creation of male and female, that it would be a picture of Christ and the church. And that's uh, 
like I said, Genesis 2, 21 through 25. Now, that's interesting. I mentioned earlier, I talked about how God, you know, he brought all the animals to Adam, and Adam named them um, and ruled over them. But no, no helper, no suitable helper was found for, for him, so God put him to sleep, took out, he, he wounded Adam, you know, made a little cut, took out his rib, closed it back up, he, he pierced his side, pulled out the rib, and made woman from his side. And that's where his bride came from, and Paul tells us that refers to the church. Look at John, this is interesting, look at John 19.31. And I'm going to read this. This is Jesus on the cross, and he has already died, but the Roman soldier comes up to him. And to make sure he's dead, I'll uh, read it to you. It says, Since it was a day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, was the, the Passover, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. When they um, just a side note, when they broke broke the legs of the of people on crosses, they they couldn't lift themselves up to breathe, and they would just suffocate. It's horrible. But one of the soldiers, oh, we see. But when they came to Jesus, I'm sorry, back in thirty verse thirty two. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and. And at once there came out blood and water. He who has saw this is born witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth that you may also believe. And this is John talking. And he's saying he saw this with his own eyes. And he tells us that this was done to fulfill a couple passages. It says, for these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled, that not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. Now, this is from, um, that's from Isaiah, um, the second part, I believe. Oh, Zechariah, excuse me. But the first part says not one of his bones will be broken. That's a reference to the Passover lamb, how Jesus is our Passover lamb and how he died for us. And if we are covered by his blood, the wrath of God passes over us. And we are saved. That's a whole nother episode right there. But there's another image that is being portrayed here. Remember, Jesus is the first Adam. Paul also says this, not only in Ephesians, but also in Romans chapter 5. And the church is his bride, and then is the second Eve. If Jesus is the, uh, the second Adam, then the bride is the second Eve. And notice how the first Adam... God put him to sleep, and then he pierced his side and took out the rib and made the bride from that from the side, from the rib. And this, that was a picture of Jesus on the cross. And God put the Adam being put to sleep was a picture of Jesus dying on the cross, and then him being pierced in the side was a reference back to Genesis two. And when the water and blood gushed out, that was, I mean, it signified, number one, Jesus had already died. The, his lungs were filled with fluid and the spear pierced his heart. But it's also a picture of birth. Jesus was giving birth 
to the new bride, to his church, just like Adam, in a sense, gave birth to his wife, and that's why he named her woman, double meaning, she has a womb, but she's also taken from his wound or womb, from his side, and same thing with the new bride, she was taken from the side of Jesus, he was pierced and gave birth to us, and so the bride of Christ is the new Eve, and then on Pentecost, when the Spirit, the breath of God, it's the same word, came and breathed into the those gathered together, it was like a baby who had been born taking his first breath, or in this case, her first breath, and coming to life. So it's just a beautiful picture. God set this up, and marriage is just the glorious picture of Christ and his church, and it, this image is all throughout the New Testament. Second Corinthians, Paul makes this point again about us being the bride of Christ, the church. And then if you look in Revelation, it talks about the bride coming down from heaven, and it's the new Jerusalem, it's the church. We are the, the new Jerusalem, the, the, the new tabernacle, if you will. All these images point to Jesus, point to the church and how Christ will dwell with us, and we will be his bride. And so, it's all throughout the, the scriptures. Very cool stuff. And it's very important that we keep the sexual act and the sexual image pure because it points to Christ and the church. It has gospel implications. You not only, when you commit sexual sin, and I'm you know, I'm preaching to myself, or I I don't struggle with homosexual temptation, but I have to I have to watch myself because I can I, I I'm in the flesh. I can struggle with you know lustful thoughts as well. But when we commit sexual sins, we are screwing up the the picture that God has set in place of Christ and the church. And homosexuality just totally messes that up. So that's the third. Are of the purpose of marriage, it's reflective of the gospel, and we need to remember that and treat it as sacred. Yes, sex is sacred, and we need to treat it as such. Okay, lastly, sex, it's not only for recreation, you know, reproducing, but it's also for recreation. Okay, I just can't help the dad jokes today. I'm sorry. You're going to have to deal with it. So. <laughs> so it's for recreation. Yes, it is for pleasure. It's for healthy pleasure within marriage. Um, if you read, there's a lot of, there's actually a lot of spicy passages in the Bible that talk about that just glory in the joys and pleasures of sex that God made. It's a glorious thing. And like I said, when done per- correctly, it brings glory to God. It points to the, the, the um, very joy that the Godhead enjoys and within itself between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the joy that the, the church has with her bride, Christ, and with joy he has for his bride. And that brings me back, actually, I want to back up. I forgot to mention, how can, I want to talk about how can marriage and sexuality and the different genders point to both the Trinity, the different members of the Godhead, and Christ and the church? That seems like it'd be weird to represent these two different things. How can it be both? Well, there's a passage in the New Testament that talks about how we are, we were created and we were saved to partake of the divine nature in some, in some mysterious way. When the Holy Spirit indwells us, 
we partake in the divine nature as as much as any creature can. And so it is like we are enjoying that same fellowship that the diff- and love and acceptance that the different members of the Godhead enjoy. Because remember, God is eternal. He's an eternal family. He's a father and a son. But there's no bride until Christ came and redeemed a bride. And that's the, and that's the church. That's us. So that's just some cool imagery there and um, how it can be both. But yeah, lastly, sex is for uh, healthy pleasure within marriage. There's Proverbs 5, 15 through 19 is a great passage. Um, that's also talking about how it is definitely meant to be within marriage and only within marriage. And then just look at the entire book of the Song of Sol- Song of Songs of Solomon. It's its full name. I mean, it's just it's all about it's a giant love poem, especially chapter four and five. So, those are the different R's of sex and marriage. The definition of marriage, it's rooted in creation. It's reiterated throughout scripture. It's repeated by Jesus himself. Then the purpose of marriage, it's for reproduction, for representation. It's reflective of the gospel and it's for recreation. So as a side note, uh, I just want to let you know that this only, I'm only talking about the sexual aspects of marriage here, of course. Marriage is also, I mean, it's meant to be a safe haven from the storms of the world. It's supposed to be a place of love and respect. Like I said, supposed to be a picture of the love that's within the Godhead it's, uh, him, itself and within um, our relationship with Christ and the church. And that's the ideal we strive, through, strive for um, through the Holy Spirit by His grace. You know, it's also a place of training and nurture for children. And uh, marriage, of course, um, husbands are supposed to uh, love their wives, provide for them, provide for their families— and uh, wives are supposed to support their husbands in that. So that's. Uh, I hope this has been edifying to you and, and positive. You know, not just saying, you know, these sins are bad. But I want to look at why they're bad by looking at what God's plan was. You know, you know the you know the fake, you know the forgery by looking at the real, by looking at the the real. And God's original creation is glorious and. It's by his good design. So anyways, have a great rest of your week. Enjoy this month that God has made and take pride in, well, you know, as it says in Jeremiah, don't boast that you know the Lord, that you are part of the bride of Christ and that you are partaking of the divine nature. And one day you will be part of the marriage supper of the lamb. So enjoy. God's Creation Month. (laughs) Can't think of a better name. All right. God bless, guys. Bye. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider donating to slayinggiantsshow.com and subscribing to our email. Slaying Giants is a production of Joe Sneed Creative.